Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Five persons, including actress Sharon Tate, were found dead at the home of Miss Tate and her husband, screen director Roman Polanski. The whole thing is very, Tate, very mysterious, but this is what I know. Authorities say a menacing letter received yesterday by a Vallejo newspaper was not sent by the infamous Zodiac Killer. That's again part of That Area 51, the secret Air Force base in Nevada, actually exists. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. He's been called the East Side Rapist. He's been called the Visalia Ransacker. The original Night Stalker. And the Golden State Killer. You have now entered into the house of mystery. The best in true crime, conspiracy, and alternative history. With Al Warren and Kevin Thompson. KCAA, the stations that leave no listener behind. Broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. The trifecta of talk radio for Southern California. Welcome back into the House of Mystery on KKNW 1150 AM Seattle, KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles. I'm your host today, Al Warren, and of course it's Wednesday, so joining me is Dr. Joe Yusinski. Hey Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Always good. How is the East Coast? Miami holding up? <laughs> Did you get any well, bad we weather? Yeah, no, we didn't have any bad weather. It's all further north than we are. Um, and I'm happy to take a year off of hurricanes, so, so, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, but, you guys get it a lot, so, you know. Yeah, but i got to tell you, we are praying for the people up in North and South Carolina and hope everything goes uh, well up there, um, because I, I know what it's like. It was very tough last year dealing with Irma. Yeah, it's really hard to, to, to um, get it all together, you know, get back to to some sort of normalcy in life, I guess. You know, uh, you lose power, you lose a lot of... Uh, how long did it take to get back to kind of a normal life? A couple of weeks, um, because I actually live right on the water, and our elevators had flooded. So you can't really go up and down 23 flights to uh, get to your apartment. So we didn't have the sort of damage that, that some places in North Carolina have where the roads have just been washed away, but um, we had we had very different problems from the um, from the flooding. 
Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. So uh, now today, of course, we're, we're we usually talk about conspiracy and all sorts of stuff, news, politics, and uh, we've got a, a guest joining us today on our Wednesday show, and uh, very interesting story he has, and uh, and I caught him because of his last book. And the last book is called Springtime for Snowflakes, uh, Social Justice and its Postmodern Parentage. And what, who we've got is uh, Michael Rechtenwald. Thank you for being here, Michael. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Al. It's great to be here. So, so Michael, just for the people that don't know who you are, um, who are you and what do you do right now? Okay, uh, I'm Michael Rechtenwald. I'm an NYU professor of global liberal studies, and um, I have been a professor at NYU for 10 years. I'm, a, I'm on my 11th year here, and um, I have uh, been in a controversy here for two years, really, since October of 2016 when I uh, established a Twitter account called Prof from which I started tweeting criticisms about social justice ideology and PC authoritarianism. And um, I was soon uh, interviewed by a student newspaper reporter. I came out publicly as myself. I was almost immediately put on a paid leave of absence. And also uh, a committee called the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Group wrote a condemnatory open letter against me. And... Um, Everything started from there. Uh, uh, there was a lot of things. The story went viral pretty much. Um, and, uh, you know, I was brought back after that, uh, after a semester and, uh, actually got promoted in the process. In the meanwhile, uh, the promotion had nothing to do with the controversy, but had they not promoted me, uh, they would have had another problem. So that's the basic, uh, story. And then I penned a book called Springtime for Snowflakes about uh, my travails at NYU, but also trying to track the history and the roots of this social justice movement. And I tracked it down to postmodern theory and uh, traced it to my own education. Hmm. That's quite a... Now, before we get into your... I I was just going to say, now, so you you took up this Twitter account, the anti-PC NYU prof... Um, is, right. is, what was the purpose of doing that? Like, what kind of things did you want to tweet out or twit to people? <laughs> and yeah, I, I wanted to criticize. Yeah. yeah, so go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, what what is it that you exactly were trying to accomplish from this? Yeah, I wanted to criticize freely without circumspection, without undue, uh, you know, constraints. Uh, some of them happenings on on college campuses and at NYU in particular. I was very disturbed about the institution uh, of a bias reporting hotline on at NYU in the fall of uh, 2016. I saw this as a terrible development in which students were being encouraged to tell on their professors if their professors were guilty of a bias infraction, whatever that is, or a microaggression. And uh, it turned the classroom, I thought, into a surveillance state, a Stasi state, if you will. Um, I didn't like that at all. I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about the the prevalence of identity politics and how it was eroding uh, it was eroding the quality of education as I see it, and I think it really has been. 
by virtue of the fact of promotions and hiring of people that aren't qualified for what they do. I wanted to criticize um, safe spaces, which I thought were hideous, and uh, they got worse as time went on. Uh, I talk about that in the book, and uh, I wanted to criticize the no-platforming of speakers, uh, the way that uh, certain people whose ideas are not the same as those who hold positions in the university and the students that they indoctrinate, how they're shut down from even speaking a word on a campus. I wanted to get all this out on the table and criticize it without being uh, necessarily being attacked personally or professionally. So that's why I set it up as an anonymous account at first. But after I came out with the interview, I decided to go public. Right. Now, Bias Hotline, just for people that, that don't know, that is a, uh, basically a phone number that students can call and report activity of, let's say, professors, or, you know, or something you said or did that they find yeah. of- offensive, basically. That's, that's kind of what it is. Objectionable, yeah, right. <clears throat> so they have these bias response teams, BRTs they're called, and they're made up of administrators whose whole job is to adjudicate diversity issues and bias incidences and things like this. So just to give you an example of what might be construed a bias incident, say um, a student walks into a, as a white male. He walks into a cafeteria. All the tables are full except for two in which there are one seat, one seat at one table, one seat at the other. One table is filled with African Americans. The other table is filled with all Caucasian students. The student chooses the Caucasian table. One of the African Americans believes it's a bias infraction because he was being biased against the black table. He could be reported for that. Of course, that would be a crazy uh, case to adjudicate, but there's crazier ones that have been reported than that. So well, things like this, it's just... Yeah, okay, so who, yeah. when they're reporting it, who who's getting that... Like who who makes up the people that get the phone call, and the team that actually yeah. decides to follow up or follow through on this? There's a whole administrative wing that has been you know burgeoning in the university around the notion of diversity. They have these diversity deans, their diversity uh, provosts, uh, associate provosts of diversity. I mean, this is endless proliferation of diversity officers and they make up this team and they also they they adjudicate these issues behind closed doors no transparency and nobody is allowed to ask what their biases might be um so it's a it's a sort of a very i think it's a very orwellian development uh on college campuses and uh, nyu is just one of over 230 colleges and universities in the United States that have this bias response team and this bias reporting hotline. At some universities, they even have an app on your phone, so you don't even have to call. You just open the app, submit the bias report, boom, you're done. So they're really encouraging this. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but it's, it just almost seems funny. Uh, so what what is it they think until you get one reported on well exactly until you're the guy in the hot seat um what exactly um are they doing with people that they find offensive so let's say like for instance when you said that you know the it goes into the table of caucasians or whites and then he gets reported so when they yeah. when, when these 
you know, uh, biased police come up and start to uh, follow through on this, what can actually happen to that person or to a professor or to anybody? Well, with a professor, they can get any number of uh, reprimands, you know, including a suspension, uh, to a leave of absence, uh, firing, you name it. It can go against their record if they're not tenured or they're on the tenure track. This could be taken into consideration when they come up for tenure or if they're on a contract, like myself. This could come into consideration when they can come up for contract renewal. Uh, so it could become part of their um, permanent record. You remember that from school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it could become part of the, <laughs> it could become part of their permanent record. Uh, even if the case is adjudicated in their favor, just the whole, just the incident itself is a painting sort of thing. It's a painting process. I mean, there was a professor here of psychology uh, at NYU here who, uh, one of the students claimed who was a transgender person that he was uh, biased against, uh, he was transphobic. He was called transphobic because he didn't recognize trans identity the way he was supposed to recognize it. So he he saw it as gender dysphoria because that's the official psychiatric uh, diagnosis. And uh, using that term was found offensive by the transgender person. They reported him, and I don't know what's happened. He's gone into a sort of a dark uh, place. We don't know what's the case, has, how the case has been resolved, if it has been resolved. We don't know yet. So is this, is this so kind of... Things like that. Is this going to be kind of like the university itself? Are they more worried about uh, what happens in the media? So like in a case like the transgender, and because it's something everyone's talking about, making the news and making them look bad, is that kind of their their big concern? Well, I, I would believe that if it weren't for the fact that most of the country thinks that a lot of this stuff is ludicrous and really wrong. Um, if it weren't for the fact that uh, the press is largely left-leaning, in my opinion, uh, that, you know, that would not be a possible ex- explanation, a plausible explanation. Uh, I think, really, what's going on here is that social justice ideologues have infiltrated university administrations and or piled them into acquiescence to abide by their sort of ideological predilections. So I think that's what's really happening. Uh, I don't think it's strictly about liability. I do think it has to do with pressure because I've heard of stories of people talking to the presidents of university uh, of universities and the president basically admitting that they were terrified of the social justice activists in their faculty. These people have a lot of uh, political power now, and they're exercising it very much to their uh, to um, to my chagrin. Right uh, now, from what I understand, the universities and, and academia, for the most part, have always been uh, left or far left in general. Yeah. So what's changed? Well, not always, but yeah, more so. Lately more so. Now. Yeah. But but you know, well, in a way, I mean, so when you entered university and stuff. You were kind of, um, you considered yourself a, I believe, a communist or a left side? Well, I became a, uh, a leftist. I was uh, probably a liberal when I entered into graduate school. I became a leftist over time. Um, 
and eventually I declared myself a left communist or a communist, a libertarian communist with a certain milieu of communism. Uh, it was a critical milieu that really did, disagreed with the Bolsheviks, claimed that the Bolsheviks really were not representing the working class and they were authoritarian and they certainly were. So I thought there was another possible way. Uh, but after uh, I saw how the left attacked me, including leftist communists, left communists and others, I mean, just every milieu of the left attacked me uh, when I criticized social justice. It made me believe, and I still think it's the case, that the left is totalitarian at base. Uh, that's my view, that there's a totalitarianism underneath the thin veneer of egalitarian rhetoric. Yeah. So do you... Yep, go ahead. So, so let me just ask this. So do you think that when you entered academia that you you came in, you know, on the left, do you think that you sort of entered an echo chamber where, because faculty tend to be overwhelmingly on the, on the left and many on the far left, did that sort of pull you in that direction because you wound up in a, in a, in a bubble? Definitely, and I never heard any other views, and nobody could possibly hear any other views in the university system. I entered into graduate school, basically just wanted to be a literature professor. Uh, you know, I really didn't get into it to be politic, to be involved in politics, but I soon found that it was all enmeshed in politics, and in the English departments especially, theory, you know, had invaded, and this was all leftist theory. Uh, inclusive of postmodern theory, but other, even, you know, critical theory was, of course, neo-Marxist. Anyway, everything was tilted to the left. I saw in the process, I, I you know, I acquiesced. I thought, I, I guess subtly I saw the writing on the wall, that if you don't embrace this type of viewpoint, you're not going anywhere. There's no career for a conservative in, in, in the university in literature, for English, in the English department. No, no way. Uh, so it was very clear, and I saw people who came in to be uh, graduate students in a Ph.D. program where I went, and I saw them get thrown out, literally just dismissed because they were conservatives, just completely dismissed. It had nothing to do with their work. It had to do with their viewpoint. There was no place for them, none. I mean, that's, that's, a, really good, that's a really good point because a lot of questions come up about why is the media so far to the left? Why is academia so far to the left? And some of it's self-selection, that people yes. on the left tend to choose certain occupations, but also there is there's right. some weeding out that takes place. There's a definite weeding. You're right about the self-selection part, too, because there's, you know, there's studies that show people that are liberal to left are more open to novelty, new ideas, and things like that. So, there's something about the university allows a lot of exploration and, you know, uh, the treatment of different viewpoints, but they're, you know, or at least I should say it's experimental in, in, a, in a large sense. Now, all the experiments are left-leaning, but, but at least there is a lot of uh, chance to encounter what seem to be very, very intriguing ideas. So that's true. And I was definitely kind of that kind of person, creative thinker, uh, much more open to novelty, not not a traditionalist, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's the self-selection part, but then there's a definite weeding out. And uh, I've seen it verbatim. I've seen it happen, you know, without without apology. Just I've heard professors say, well, like, guys, he wants to do a, a conservative dissertation. Are you kidding me? Go, goodbye. 
I mean, <laughs> cultural studies, the field I was reared in in the PhD program, cultural studies, my, my department is na- was named Literary and Cultural Studies. That cultural studies was founded by Marxists. I mean, so how do you fit into that if you're not left-leaning? Um, you can't. You can't fit into a department that's calling itself cultural studies if you're not left to communist or communist itself. So, yeah, and uh, I realized that, and I, I went along with it. I even became a feminist Marxist, and uh, I did whatever, you know, and I thought, I guess, you know, I sort of intuited that if I didn't do this, I had no future in the field. Yeah, and, and if you look at surveys of academia, I mean, it varies by discipline. So I think my discipline, political science, is like nine to one, liberal to conservative. Um, but right. in other disciplines, like if you go into English departments or something like that, it's it's effectively going to be zero conservative. Exactly, it's zero. There, economics, you'll wind up with something like fifty-fifty, which tends to be the most conservative discipline. Um. I think sociology and anthropology, last I saw, were like 15 to 1. But that left side tail is really long. So it's not like you have right. 15 Democrats and one Republican. It's you'll have one Republican, a few Democrats, and then communists, neo-Marxists, European socialists. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is the case. It's not Democrats. Democrat is considered, you know, if you're a Democrat, you're in university. That's just a moderate. Uh, person, they're moderate and they're often scoffed at, you know, in most, most, at least in my program, they would be, you know, that's so lukewarm garbage, you know, these people are really just bourgeois pretenders and stuff, stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> it, it's incredible when I think about it now, just how far this has gone. So I've been very happy at my university because it's, it, you know, in some ways I would describe it as apolitical because we don't have a lot of protests taking place on, on campus and the students are very open to different viewpoints. Um, but That's great. You know, I, asked, I asked one of my classes a couple of weeks ago, I said, how many of you have read Marx in college? And every hand went up. And I said, how many yeah. of you have read Milton Friedman or Friedrich Hayek? Zero hands. So it's wow. so so in and, and and we're a campus that isn't that really far to the left, but but you see it there, right? It's 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 there mm-hmm. and it permeates and in 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 you know it's the thing where if if it was the case that a university had all conservative professors, you would wind up with the same thing too. It would just be people going off far to the right um, because they wind yeah. up in echo chambers. Yeah, um, so I think that what the problem is is that you have to have a, a, a competitive field. You know, looking at it from a Darwinian standpoint, if you don't have, if you do not have competition uh, in the marketplace of ideas, the most ludicrous notions can pass for legitimate uh, arguments and points of view, and that's what I think has happened. There's nobody to to, to even counter some of these notions. Uh, and therefore, they're running completely amok. Uh, gender studies classrooms do not consider something, do not even allow the discussion of something like chromosomes or anything to do with, you know, perhaps evolutionary psychology. That is completely off the limits, totally verboten. So there's viewpoints that are totally shut down, and therefore, uh, crazy nuts like Judith Butler run, run rampant and supreme all over the whole gender studies 
curriculum in every college and university in the country. And her notion is that gender is a performance, nothing more. Every day you get up and perform your gender. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it's nuts. Yes, you perform your gender just like you perform having a head, you know. <laughs> you know it's, uh, so there's nothing hardwired. Everything is completely like this kind of like uh, social construction on the fly. This is the notions that you know that are completely dominating any discussion of gender, for example, in the university. And what gets people like James Demore at Google fired for saying there might be a real difference between men and women? My God, what a thought! Banish it. What about the? The students. So we've been talking about the faculty. What about the students? So your you, your book is Springtime for Snowflakes. So so yeah. So what yeah. is a snowflake? How do you define that term? Well, it's there. It's the term that was given to the social justice warrior. I just adopted it. I you know. And here's the thing. I'm not really calling my students snowflakes because they're not. My students, most of them, are not indoctrinated. At least when I get them as a freshman or I shouldn't say freshman, excuse me, first-year student. can't say freshman anymore. Um, especially when I get them as a first-year student, but they're, most of them are not and have not been indoctrinated into this yet. Uh, so they're very open-minded and they're very interested in critical inquiry and different standpoints and viewpoints. And so I don't levy this term at them. I'm really referring to the activists. Uh, some are students, but most of faculty that's what I'm talking about, not the students. So, I mean, I had Jonathan Haidt here tell me that he didn't want to write a blurb for my book because I used that term, snowflakes, and I called the book Springtime for Snowflakes. He thought it was insulting to, quote, our students. But I never talked about our students in the book as such. Okay. Yeah, the term's really applying to uh, those people uh, in the social justice activist left, and the, the idea comes from the idea that every person has this unique standpoint that can't be duplicated and no one else can understand, so that everybody has their own truth and can't be, uh, that truth can't be contravened because it's their own truth. And so I'm, I'm kind of making fun of that idea. Nobody has their own truth. I mean, truth is something that's shared collectively or that doesn't exist. Um, so that was part of it. And it's also, of course, there's a play on the Mel Brooks uh, song from the producers, Springtime for Hitler was the song, and it was a joke. It's a parody of Hitler, and it's a parody of totalitarianism, and it's a, a parody that makes light of um, the uh, beliefs of those people. So I think I'm trying to poke fun at what I consider to be a kind of totalitarian leftist uh, standpoint that's running uh, off the rails at this juncture. So how, I'd say springtime for... Yeah, I'm sorry. How, how much of this do you think is driven by just a small minority of activists? And then, and then um, is it that they're able to sort of silence everyone else, or, is, or do they have yes. a lot of um, people behind them? Um. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment... 
you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. They have, there's, there's not as small as you might think. There's probably about 10 to 15, 20% of the faculty, uh, at least in the humanities and social studies, uh, are in this ilk. But they call the rest of them into compliance because who wants to, if you don't, if you speak up against them, they'll just stop you a racist or a sexist or a homophobe or worse, Nazi. And I've been called all of those um, for just having a view that differed from theirs. Um, so they're really uh, scary to most people. And I, I really am not afraid of them and I'm not going to back down. They can say whatever they want because they're wrong about what they're saying about me and what they're doing is fascist in itself. So whatever name they call me, they might as well point at a mirror. <laughs> so, so, so when you got in trouble, did it have to do with the fact that your Twitter account had uh, yes had NYU in the title, um, or no. was it just the ideas, or was it the fact that that it sort of seemed like you were speaking on behalf of NYU? Like, like where exactly no. did it run afoul? Uh, one thing is that I didn't, so you have two things with a Twitter account. You have the handle itself, which was anti, at anti-PCNYU-prof. Nobody complained that I used NYU in the handle. That's my business, and I am a professor at NYU, so I could, I could say that. And anyway, it wasn't really, it's not like a trademark term you can't use anywhere else. That wasn't an intellectual property violation. The second thing, though, is every account has the, the proper name, and instead of using my name, Michael Rechtenwald, I used deplorable NYU prof as the name. That I think really kicked them off because it suggested that I that I um, was uh, that I was a fan of and an adherent of Donald Trump, but it really wasn't the case. I used it to signal solidarity with the flyover people whom the elitists despise. Uh, and whom they called the basket of, whom Clinton referred to as the basket of deplorables. I felt that was a very disgustingly elitist notion 
that put people who disagree with uh, Democrats in a terrible place. And I thought it was just a really nasty uh, nomenclature, and so I adopted it out of solidarity with uh, for those people. That I think ticked them off because they think that anybody that uh, anything to do with has anything to do with Trump must be Hitler. Um, so uh, that's effectively what what that was about. That that's the main thing. Uh, and then, of course, some of the things I had a, a Nietzsche avatar, uh, so a picture of Nietzsche as the uh, as the photograph with the graphic picture for that account. And I quoted and paraphrased Nietzsche a few times. Because I think Nietzsche, I'm not a Nietzschean, but I think Nietzsche serves as a good antidote to some of these lunatic ideas uh, that the social justice left parades around with. Well, in a lot of your, um, when you talk about um, social justice, um, a lot of the concepts are not so bad as the actions. Well, there's there's a long history to social justice. Right. And first of all, and I've told the history too in another piece. I don't tell it in this book. Contemporary social justice has nothing to do with the original social justice, except the name. Has nothing to do with the most recent, previous incarnations of social justice, except the name. The contemporary social justice movement is entirely new. The only thing that is similar to the other ones uh, is the name. And the name has no necessary meaning at all. It sounds noble, and it's a very noble-sounding abstraction, but it's nothing to do with either justice or really even sociality. It's an anti-social, anti-social injustice or injustice. Uh, I, I get into that in the book. There's a whole slew of new concepts associated with social justice that were never associated with it in the past, having to do with things like cultural appropriation, microaggressions, mansplaining, manspreading, um, uh, on and on and on, all these new shibboleths and terms, you know, cisgenderism, uh, heteronormativity. I mean, just a whole batch of ideas that had nothing to do with even the earlier civil rights movement or the Catholic Church's social justice movement or even liberation theology. These are all based on identity politics. They're newfangled ideas deriving from Marxism, in particular, not Marxism per se, but actually Maoism, uh, for example, uh, cultural, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, for example, the call-out culture and the self-criticism. These are directly derived from Maoism, uh, from auto-critique and struggle sessions. We have a mild, soft, cyber version of those going on every day. Um, You know, the Me Too movement, whatever its intentions and however good it is to certainly curtail uh, and eliminate sexual harassment of women, was really following a Maoist playbook and still is. I can explain all that in the book. Where is it going to go then? Like, where do you think it's heading? Well, they're going to double down. Vox Day, you might not like his politics, but he's written a couple good books on social justice. And he said the social justice activists always double down. They're going to double down. They are doubling down. And therefore, no matter how crazy or or how well they're proven to be uh, wrong, 
they will continue to double down and to assert their views with greater and greater vehemence. Uh, I think it eventually, when it reaches the height, uh, it, you know, the apex, you know, I think it'll hopefully have a very rapid uh, fall. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm trying to imply with the idea of springtime for snowflakes. Springtime is a heyday, but where a snowflake is concerned, it's also the moment of melting. <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to get out there. So you, you think it's sort of at its peak now? Not quite. It has a little further to go, I think. Maybe, I'd say 2020, it'll be out over out of our system. I hope. I think so. And what do you expect's going to replace it? Like, how how is it, what's going to fill the void? There's going to be reaction. Um, and uh, I'm, I will be there to make sure the reaction doesn't become worse than the than the, the problem. And if it does, I will be the first one to speak against it. For example, uh, the alt-right is, in effect, a response to the constant and never-ending identity politics of the left. Uh, it is merely a white nationalist version of leftist identity politics. And I would suggest that it is in a dialectical relationship with identity politics of the left. It is like in the master-slave dialectic of Hegel, they are co-producing entities, the alt-right and the alt-left. They are constantly co-constituting themselves. And therefore, um, I believe uh, that the reaction to the, uh, to the left's social justice could be bad. And I, I don't want, to, I will not sanction that kind of response. And I've, I've been very clear about that. Do you consider yourself to be like part of the dark web that's sort of been coalescing for the last few years? Uh, well, apparently the New York Times uh, writer didn't think I was part of it. She didn't mention me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, that sort of bothered me, but I guess I don't care because they, they do have a little, I think it's a bit of a boys club going on there. And, you know, with the take having each other on each other's YouTube shows and stuff, uh, I get on the same shows, but not with them. Uh, I have nothing against them. I think that basically I'm in the same camp, definitely. Uh, I just haven't been invited into the tree shack, um, which is fine, because uh, I'm doing my thing, and I'm a little bit different anyway. They're mostly social sci- social studies, social science people, psychologists, uh, economists, uh, bi- evolutionary biologists, and so forth. Uh, I'm doing cultural criticism. It's a little bit different. So uh, I come from a different disciplinary place, and it's li- it's a little. It's not pre- pretending to be scientific. What I'm saying here, I'm talking from a humanity standpoint. So what, what's gonna what's gonna happen to you next? What's going on with 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 Michael now? Well, that's a great question. I mean. I have four years left of a, of a five-year contract. The chances of being renewed are next to nothing unless something really dramatic takes place. And I'm vindicated and, you know, they ride me into town on a, in front of a parade. I don't think it's going to happen. Something like that might take place in my dreams, but that's about it. Uh, which, which means that I have four years left at NYU and then probably that means I have four years left in academia and that's it. So, 
my, you know, what I'm doing now is, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a bit of a platform and so my book's been selling very well. I'm going to try to turn it into another book, uh, on a different, slightly different topic, but connected in some way. And, you know, start, uh, making a living as an author if, if it's possible. Uh, and maybe, maybe I could get into either a conservative university or a think tank or something like that. But I don't see much hope for a job in the standard academic racket. I'd almost have to be invited by a certain university to, you know, to work there and, or, you know, like, uh, a, a think or, or apply to a think tank, you know, or try to get, you know, a series of books off the ground with advances for each one of them and stuff. Which I think I have in me, but that's not an easy way to make a living. No. So I'm in, I'm a bit of a pickle. It's not easy. Well, you could always run for president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, I think uh, a problem with general society is they're going to look at um, you as a Trump supporter, even if you're not. Do you know, you don't right, know I mean? never, right, right never, now it seems to be either you are or you aren't. Either you're politically correct right. or you're a Trump supporter. You're one of those nasty people. And so there's, right. there's, there's not much room for in between, even though there is a lot of people in between. Um, I, I just yeah, wonder, I, mean, I wouldn't even say I'm... Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just wondering wonder how you can get your identity sort of uh, more out there. Do you know what I'm saying? Because... As they see you now, um, that's going to be how it is. I see. Well, I mean, I don't think you know. That's interesting. That here's a here's a, a milieu that is refuses binary thinking when it comes to uh, gender, for example. Right. But really, when it comes down to it, they're the most binary thinking people around. Everything is either this or that. You know, either you're part of the resistance or you're a Trump supporter. How about I'm neither? You know. <laughs> And I don't have to be either because not everything exists on a plane with their binary terms on each end. I just don't buy into it. Uh, and I'm not going to caricature myself in order to fit their very, very narrow typecasted narrative, narratology. Put that, put it that way. Uh, yeah. I have been clear that I'm anti social justice left. I'm a classical liberal now. I believe I'm social and cultural libertarian. I believe in a broad latitudinarian viewpoint regards to what people's freedoms should be. People should be able to say and do whatever they want as long as they don't infringe on others' rights. It's very simple. Um, so, you know, I can't, I can't account for other people's binary blinders. That's their problem, not mine. And, and universities are becoming a very tough place to speak at um, as a speaker or a comedian or um, anybody coming to universities have to fit within a certain category now. Um, do, right. Do, do you find that true? Yes. Um, and you'll see that there are a lot of comedians that won't come to universities anymore or colleges because of the the, the trammels that are put on them, the, the, the way they can't say anything that might be offensive. And you can't really have comedy unless you poke fun at people. And, and some people, their feelings are sacrosanct. You can't poke fun at them. You're not allowed to make fun of these kinds of people. And, uh, yeah, people have been, you know, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld and a whole slew of other people, and Mel Brooks, by the way, as well, 
I mean, he's not a, wouldn't wouldn't be working anyway. But he's a big critic of this PC authoritarianism, and um, the the problem is that yeah, they're shutting down all kinds of viewpoints, and it's hard to say things at the, at the college level, and it's a very very chilling environment, very very chilling. And um, you know, so yes, it may be a minority, but then they also have extracurricular recruits from Antifa and so on and so forth who will come to campus at the drop of a hat to shut somebody down. Um, I have a way of I'm going to sneak some of these people into my classroom to speak to my students, and they can't stop me from doing that because it's my classroom and I'm allowed to run it the way I will. And I think it's important to allow some of these views to get across. And I'll have these people come speak at my classroom unannounced to the university. Uh, so hopefully Antifa doesn't show up. Uh, I ask, you know, I'm not trying to just make news stories. I'm actually trying to get people to have the thoughts, to have open dialogue and open inquiry rather than being shut down and not, not able to get a word in edgewise. If I were trying to just make a spectacle, I would announce what I'm doing, but I'm not. I'm not going to announce it. Well, let me know the dates. I'll call them. (laughs) 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 What do we do with things like Alex Jones um, and that sort of uh, part? Um, They have a right to speak, freedom, yet they're being shut down. And I'll tell you, I worked with him. I worked with him. I've been on the same platform show with him. I think he's a nut. Uh, not really. I think that what he says is kind of just, you know, it's crazy. He goes off yeah. in places that should not be, you know, he enrages. He's just, he's a nutcase. And, and, uh, well, yeah. and, and yet, and yet we have to protect his freedom to speak, which is fine. But mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. wrong with protesting someone like him or even Milo? Milo caused a lot of problems, but that's because Milo flips. But, why Why can't people protest? They can protest all they want. The problem is is when they go into the, the actual auditoriums and, and do nothing but shout at the, these slogans to totally silence the speaker so they can't get a word in edgewise, they're violating the policies of the institution and they're violating the First Amendment rights of the speaker. This is the problem. Uh, and when people uh, bridge mine or somebody else's rights, I'm going to speak up about that. And I'm going to try to avert it as well. But, yeah, they can protest all they want outside uh, within the scope of not, you know, breaking the law, which they don't care about either. Uh, But uh, they should not be uh, capable or allowed to get into these auditoriums like they did at, uh, at, uh, at, well, um, Middlebury and shut down uh, speakers like, uh, what's his name, Uh, Murray, Charles Murray, who spoke, you know, and tried to speak at Middlebury and got no words out edgewise. This is the problem. They're just completely, you know, turning this mob of students uh, who are being indoctrinated by these faculty, they're turning them into robotic chanters of stupid, idiotic slogans. This this is what's going on in university. It's brainwashing. But do yeah. you think that these students, because this varies by university, but I mean, do you think these students have a lot of these ideas before they even get there? Possibly, because, uh, you know, there's, I think the social justice indoctrination is being, being inaugurated from kindergarten on at this point, from what I'm hearing from people, and being people showing me workbooks that are 
you know, that are given to, you know, teachers in uh, elementary and, and uh, high school. They are actually indoctrinating these people as young as they can get them. So, indeed, yeah, I think it's possible the students, some of them do believe that when they get there, and then it's reinforced and nothing is nothing exists to challenge it. So they just reinforce it and calcify it. They think they are so right that they don't even have to consider another position. And so, therefore, all they have to do is learn the, the, the various uh, slogans. Uh, shame, 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 uh, no. Uh, no, no fascist, no Trump, no, not, not, whatever they say. I, I'm not gonna repeat their stupid, uh, robotic slogans. I mean, it's a shame that, for example, Stan, I talk about this in my book. Stanford University admitted a student in 2017 named Ahmed Saeed, and what he said in his quote essay, when they asked him, what mattered to him and why he wrote black lives matter hashtag black lives matter a hundred times that was his essay and they admitted him this to me is is proof that the universities want sloganeers they want social justice they want members in a social justice choir it's ridiculous they actually admitted a student who wrote 100 times black lives matter in his essay and they considered that stellar that's shocking. This is Stanford. It's a third-rated university in the country. I remember when I was in graduate school at University of Arizona, they had Ann Coulter come in to give a talk, and this was about you know fifteen years ago. And yeah, uh, there was a group called Al Paeda who would attack conservative speakers with pies, and they were chasing her around the stage with a pie <laughs> trying to get. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that's at least funny, you know. And but yeah. with you know what's happening now is is really ugly and stupid. It's really the, the worst part of it is how dumb it is, how stupefying to 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 train these students to speak in nothing but robotic chants over and over, so that nothing could possibly penetrate their intellects or what's left of them. So I wonder if part of the problem is having these public talks, because I agree with you that bringing speakers into the classroom is a, is a much better way to do it, because you avoid the politics and the and, and you know and the posturing. So, yes, for example, I had, I, had, I had one of Trump's advisors, Roger Stone, in our classroom uh, two oh. weeks ago, and wow. Um, you know, that wouldn't fly on most college campuses, but, I mean, we had all of our Democratic Congress candidates in so we have people on the left and the right and and in a classroom setting the students seem you know we're perfectly fine with it and they can agree or disagree with them but um i think in a classroom it's an opportunity but i think when it's put out there as a campus-wide open event that's where it seems to become politicized yeah oh definitely and and what's happening there is the college republicans on all these campuses the students involved are feeling very alienated in the college life, and they feel that their views are shut down or not heard anywhere. So they, as a, as a sort of symbolic revenge, they invite the most controversial, flamboyant, and contradictory speakers they can even imagine to campus. And then they get the expected result. And it's not wise on their part to, to do it that way, I think. They should probably work on legitimacy a little bit more and who they bring to campus. There are plenty of conservatives who are not 
you know, so colorful and so bombastic in their approach. And I think those people should be heard, and maybe there would be the possibility of respectability around those speakers instead of what they're deemed to be now. Now, I am going to have some of the more controversial, flamboyant, and colorful speakers coming into my classroom, but as you say, I'm not going to announce it to the whole NYU uh, body, and we're not doing it to get press. We're doing it to get the ideas that these people have out there. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's more, it's more, uh, I think it's more honest and I think it's actually more, uh, legitimate because we're not, we're not just trying to make waves. We're trying to actually make, uh, a difference. Do you think there's a problem on the right hand side now where a lot of the speakers are exactly what you say where, you know, you know, people with not very good ideas, but they enrage the other side so much that they become like Milo, very prominent. Yeah. And, and, and well, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's, yeah, there's a there's a whole ethos now on the right of a trollish. Uh, you can call it the, the uh, right wing trollery. It's very big. Uh, they want to be trollish, and you know, they there was a I think a bit of a. a character profile written about uh one of trump's main speakers uh i forget his name um he's uh he's a, he's he's kind of like the, the in-house milo for for trump um uh, in any case he you know it, 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 there's the kind of cultivation of this sort of right identity towards being outrageous outlandish and and then you know rising the ire of the other side and you know getting triggering them on purpose you know and i think it follows after Trump's own example, and if he's, if, if the left hasn't learned anything yet, let me tell them this very clearly. He's triggering you on purpose. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Don't you get it? He's yeah. doing this to you on purpose, and you're just giving them the knee-jerk reaction that he's looking for. Yeah, I don't know if they can ever figure that out, but it's, it's pretty okay. obvious. Yeah, I know. And, yeah. Yeah. You get what, you know, you, you should get, you know, you expect it. I mean, I do. I, I just, I don't see why, what the outrage is. It's just what it is. Yeah. Know? It's tiring. The outrage, I mean, I don't have, my outrage meter is broken. It's, yeah. It's I'm, been out of commission. You know? I'm, I'm over being outraged, but I never really was. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. It doesn't outrage me that much. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I think there's, there's that. Yeah, that's right. I think Trump has been the leader of the trolling. And, and there's this whole new ethos that has evolved uh, under that kind of cloak of right-wing trollery. Yeah, I think yeah. that's pretty pretty sure. clear. Yeah. Well, Michael, uh, our time's running out, and it's been great. We'll have your book up on our website, and I'll make sure it gets linked on all the radio stations that carry us. So, oh, thank uh, you. Again, we've been talking about springtime for the snowflakes, and uh, the author, Michael Rechtenwald, uh, thank you for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Al. Thank you, and thank you, Joe. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.